Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Purest water make me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. And today, we ask you, Lord, to be with us and to give us your guidance and to uh, build us up in you and to warn us of the things to come and to be ready. And uh, thank you, Father, for what you're doing. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. We're going to call this Strong Delusions Lead to Destruction. And the first revelation here was given to Michelle Rogers on 4.3.21, The Beast's Image and Persecution. And she said, I had a dream in which I saw the number 6755. When I awoke and asked the Lord if the number was for Greek or Hebrew, I immediately felt it was a Strong's Concordance number for a word in Hebrew. I looked up the number in the Concordance and discovered it was for the word image, which is selim, selim in Hebrew. The word is found exclusively in the book of Daniel concerning the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. The, in other words, the image of the beast. Uh, the number 6755, or 6 plus 7 plus 5 plus 5 equals 23. And the number 23 represents death, which the image of the beast will bring upon the world both physical death and eternal death, and damnation. And Michelle went on to say, um, Daniel 3 and 3 leapt off the page at me. And it says, Then the princes, the governors, the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the ruler of the provinces were gathered together unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Okay. Well, she went on to say, Earlier the Lord had shown me that the stories at the start of the book of Daniel were all about end times, just like the rest of the book and that we can learn a great deal about what is coming and how to respond by studying these stories prayerfully. I agree. And uh, we know the image of the beast is formed in the tribulation most completely. Not that it's not there now, but it's going to be formed completely in the tribulation, and that it speaks of all beast kingdoms. Uh, Yet, Now we see Babylon changing hands. Babylon, as we have known it, is being destroyed, and Cyrus is the new king. However, he's presiding over the same dirt, 
<laughs> so, so we've been looking at the snapshot view of this parable. One beast concerning the previous beast, conquering the previous beast. And now we're looking at the panoramic view in which uh, the dirt stays in place as new ownership appears. This is world Babylon that we're looking at here now, not just U.S. Babylon. And uh, it's it, it's got new ownership, but it's still there. Okay. Um, I believe the Lord was warning she said, that the leaders of the globe were going to be coming together to implement and to solidify the beast system. Well, it's going to be a one-world system. No matter what they say about the globalists being passed, we still got globalists. Okay. It's still a one-world system, and it's more tightly knit today than ever. At that time, it seemed uh, related to the upcoming vaccine mandates, which would lead to persecution, as it did in the book of Daniel, Revelation 17, 13, and 14. These have one mind, and they give their power and authority unto the beast. These shall war against the Lamb, and the Lamb shall overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and they also that overcome that are with him uh, called, chosen, and faithful. Amen. So these mandates and restrictions are probably not over. I'm thinking they're going to use them to have a lockdown, just to guess, okay. Uh, the deep state has eased up for a while because the vaccines were being exposed, but they are planning on another round of lockdowns and uh, mask mandates. And this next time, they seek to implement electronic vaccine passports and or social crediting scoring uh, systems that will be uh, required to buy and sell. Okay? And I believe the Alliance wants this threat from the deep state. Notice what I'm saying here now. I believe the Alliance wants this threat not the fulfillment of, from the deep state, to turn the people against them. Okay? We'll see how it works out. And Michelle said, I felt in my spirit that as Christians go into the fire, God would be glorified as leaders and even those persecuting us at times will see the Lord in the midst of his people just as King Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus in the midst of the fire with the three Hebrews. Well, it was one like unto the Son of God, but, um, you know, we can't exactly say for sure it was Jesus, but that's our guess, right? And Saul and the rest of the crowd saw Stephen's face as an angel when he was stoned. Well, that's true. Daniel three twenty-seven through 29 says, and the satraps, the deputies, and the governors, and the king's counselors, being gathered together, saw these men, that the fire had no power upon their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed, neither were their hosen changed, nor had the smell of fire passed on them. Well, Nebuchadnezzar spoke and said, uh, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
who has sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and have yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And uh, Michelle went on to say, God uses the love and faith that shines in the midst of hatred and persecution to draw people to himself as Jesus' sacrificial uh, death and love draws us to him. In uh, 1 Peter 2 and 21 through 23, we read, uh, For hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, and when he suffered, threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. And I believe the man-child ministry is in that phase right now. So this uh, next revelation uh, was given to Samuel Fire uh, early in 2019. And uh, we called it Distractions and Mass Delusions Lead to Hell. Well, this is the first vision I had from the Lord, Samuel said. I used to come home after work and watch Christian teachings and songs on YouTube, basically anything that I could to learn and to grow more in in Christ. One afternoon after coming home from work, I sat and watched YouTube for a while, and I was thinking on Christ and wondered about the huge change in my life, reflecting on the diametrically opposing life that I used to live and now. I thought, wow, I would never have believed nor thought this to be true if I was told this last year at this time. Uh, Amen. People told us that we'd be where we are today. Well, we wouldn't have believed it, would we? I sat watching and not really thinking about what I was looking at, and then everything changed. I was taken into an open vision, and I didn't see the YouTube playing anymore. I wasn't in the room, and everything was all different. I saw things from my perspective, but I was in a completely different place. I was outside a theme park. It had tall walls and all sorts of enticing pictures and happy faces and the main gate uh, had a giant smiling down at the top. <clears throat> well, I remember uh, Garrett's revelation of the devil being a clown. <laughs> okay. Um, the theme park, he said, was so large that it went on as if as far as I could see on the left and the right of my view. Well, I think it probably represents the world, okay? All of the world, right? A very long line of people waited to go in, and I could hear the sounds of rides and carnival music and laughter. Well, I believe that this theme park represents the entertainment and distractions of the world to keep us from the things of life, of eternal life. 
However, I knew something was not right. And I believe this is representing the discernment of the Holy Spirit here. I was very distraught, and I yelled at the people waiting in the line, Don't go in there! I would approach each and every person I could and grab them and look them in the eye and try to convince them not to go in. Many just ignored me or cussed and uh, swore at me. Some threw a beverage or something at me, and I just was uh, running back and forth along the line, yelling, crying out, and screaming for them not to go in. Not one person listened. Well, we always uh, try to warn people of their impending destruction, but many don't have ears to hear and will persecute us for trying to tell them the truth. And these are those who were not elect from the foundation of the world. Uh, Samuel went on to say, The vision then changed perspective, and I was in the Spirit. I could see the side angle of the theme park. Just as a person would enter the gate to go in, there was a cliff, and they fell off down into hell, and I was in horror. The whole thing was a trick. Yes, all the distractions of the world, the strongest delusions that the devil perpetuates, is that evil doesn't exist and the devil and hell aren't real. And people, people believe that. Once I came out of the vision, I then saw the YouTube playing and I thought I had been teleported to another place and had lost time and I was quite disoriented. The urge to tell others of their impending doom still tugs on my heart. Yet only the Lord can draw His sheep through those willing to speak and lead them. I encourage everyone to seek Him and be humble, to jump out there and uh, out there on that line and um, warn them of the amusement park, of the distractions, anything to keep you away from eternal things, eternal words, eternal life, right? Okay, and this next one uh, was given to Claire Pinar, 7-15-22, and we called it Pageantry Gives Way to the Fiery Furnace. I dreamed that we were on an airplane, and one stewardess who was pregnant and having strong contractions kept on going and serving with such a sense of calm and with a smile, she tried to dress so that her belly would not be visible. <laughs> well, Rion said, uh, the woman serving others in the heavenlies that is about to give birth represents the corporate body of the bride. I agree. And uh, I would say that the bride is an overcomer and continues on in service to the kingdom and the people of God. Despite the trials of death to self, which are the birth pains that uh, birth the man-child Jesus' nature in her. And those who have this nature will have the physical man-child in their midst. 
You understand? I'm talking about two manifestations of man-child being born. One in you by the nature of Jesus and one coming in the world as a reformer ministry. Micah 4 and 10 says, Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and shalt dwell in the field, and shalt come even unto Babylon. There shalt thou be rescued. There will the Lord redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. We're there. (laughs) Here we are. All right. I just wanted to help her. I was really moved by her ability to have such control. Reminds us of Galatians five twenty two and 23. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And they that are of Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with the passions and the lusts thereof. Now this fruit of the Spirit which is in the bride is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But also in the midst of the bride there is a corporate body being birthed we call the man-child ministry. Okay, And of course this bride is in the larger church. Therefore the woman in Revelation 12, brings forth the man-child. Okay? So, I prayed for her in tongues, and I saw a vision of her giving birth in the dream. I was waiting for her to have the baby. Well, Revelation 12. I'll just read 1 and 5 through 6. And a great sign was seen in heaven, a woman arrayed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, travailing in birth, and in pain to be delivered. And uh, verse 5, And she was delivered of a son, a man-child, who is to rule all the nations with the rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and unto his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she hath a place prepared of God, that there they may nourish her a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Yes, the woman will be nourished by the man-child in the wilderness, just as Jesus did a couple thousand years ago, right? Then the scene changed, and my family and I were at a place where all the black people in the area were coming to the knowledge of the truth. Well, this is spiritual. Uh, Spiritually, this represents those who walked in darkness were beginning to see the light. Amen? Praise the Lord. takes tough times for this to happen. They had left their old lives and were trying to live righteously, but they were still caught up in what I can only call pageantry. (laughs) Yeah, well, a lot of, um, you know, the old dead churches are full of this, you know. Pageantry is the use of special clothing, traditions, and ceremonies 
as part of a special event or celebration. A lot of people don't realize that all of the ceremonies in the Bible were spiritual and revelations that were spiritual. Uh, This represents the people trapped in apostate Christianity who have a conscience towards God but are still caught up in and rely on the traditions of men for their salvation. And um, they were busy making big stages for shows, and they were going to put their children in some play. Well, this represents the outward moralization of religion that puts on a show of ceremony, but there is no power to truly change or repent. She said they were moving a big a throng in a big throng making these stages as they moved along and rion said at the time of the man child's birth many will come out from the darkness that they were in but will still need deliverance from the showmanship of apostasy true in this throng claire said of the people i saw one man who was part of the group. I believe this represents the corporate body of the son of perdition. He slipped alcohol to an old man, and this man became taken over by demons. Well, that's what the son of perdition does, right? They're the Judases. They're the ones that are against the body of Christ. So this this spirit makes the old man of the flesh drunk with uh, his faction, evil ambition, and lies. That's what they do. They spread it. The, the drunken old man was now walking behind me with a knife. So he was normal, and then he got spewed upon by this son of perdition, and now he has turned against the bride, right? Rion said the son of perdition feeds the flesh of the weak ones in the body, causing many to stumble or fall away. Yes, and uh, they in turn stab you in the back with lies and slander. As we will see, some of these go on to be sons of perdition, uh, which is ultimate destruction, you know, but a few will be saved. Amen. The other women around me were so scared. I turned to him and touched his chest gently, and I said, I command the evil spirit of alcoholism off of you in Jesus' name. I command a spirit of peace and repentance over you. Well, we're commanded to set the captives free with the authority of Jesus. And uh, as we said, some will be saved out of the faction and be granted repentance. Alcoholism represents being spiritually out of touch with reality, uh, which they are. They have no conscience of what they had before these demons came over them. Uh, They don't know what they are doing, as Jesus also said (laughs) about the faction in his day. Uh, He flew across the floor and lay on his back, crying and praising Jesus. Okay, got touched by the Lord. I kept on praying for him. 
Rian, Rian, meaning little king, representing the man-child, came to him and started lifting his head and smiling at him. And Rian said, uh, When Jesus appears in the man-child reformers, lawlessness and old fleshly ways are slain with just a word of his authority. Then it seemed there was a takeover or transition from the showman and pageantry to the enslaving of the people. Uh, well, I believe this represents when the beast turns on the harlot that rides him and devours her, Revelation 17 and 16 says, And the ten horns which thou sawest, and the beast, these shall hate the harlot, and shall make her desolate and naked, and shall eat her flesh, and shall burn her utterly with fire. Well, believe it or not, this is going to cause my people come out of her, the Lord said. Yes, that you don't be a partaker in all of her sins and her curses, right? Amen. The theaters or stages that the black people had been building in the previous scene were now torn down and the pageantry stopped. So their delusion about these old dead religions and all of their symbolism and all of their pageantry, um, they were delivered from it. They knew they needed to go back to the Bible. And uh, I believe this represents the persecution of the apostates by the beast, resulting in them turning their backs on their idolatry with the world and start, and start of a great revival among them. Amen. Yes, it's coming. It's coming. No, don't think it's over. A lot of the alliance would have you think it's over. No, no, we're just starting. Uh, so, uh, Claire went on to say, Now, everyone was carrying wood to furnaces located in what looked like an old mine mind shaft. They were emaciated and tired. I could see flames coming from below the ground. And there was real fear there. I said to Rion, why are they still working like slaves? The enemy has no dominion over the, us. Well, this is true. The enemy has no dominion over the bride because she is sanctified. But the enemy does, does have uh, authority to enslave those who are still serving the beast and their flesh. They, they have to get a revelation of the crucified life, right? So Romans 6 and 16 says, Know ye not that to whom you present yourselves as servants unto obedience, his servants ye are whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Amen. <clears throat> and Claire said there were serpents who were guarding this place where the pageants used to be in the mine shaft. They were big and walked on their hind legs like a dragon slash serpent with frills coming out of their necks. Well, the world is enslaved by the dragon beast and his minions, his members. By the way, the faction is a member of the dragon beast. They want to devour the man-child and the bride. Okay. I felt like liberation was coming in the dream, like there was a tipping point coming. Be 
because the serpents that were keeping everyone in this hole kept on looking towards the heavens, like, "Uh uh-oh, what's coming? Mm -hmm. And towards the opening of the shaft, and they were growing weaker, Mm -hmm. the light coming in. Mm -hmm. They could not stop the light from breaking through the top of the hole. When I woke up, I asked the Lord for a word by faith at random and received Isaiah 48 and 9. For my name's sake will I defer mine anger, and for my praise uh, will I refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Amen. A lot of people are receive the fear of the Lord, and they, that's the first thing that they think. Well, woe is me, you know. So, so this makes sense. Jesus is coming to liberate the captives, but only for his glory. Amen. Okay, and here's one given to Amber Arney, 4, 14, 21. And we called it the Dragon Show, a great deception. Hmm. I dreamed that I was headed into the enemy's camp to gather information or to stop some plan or something similar. Well, the Lord uh, warns us through dreams and visions about what is to come and what we need to pray for and do spiritual warfare against. Amos 3, 6 and 7 says, Shall the trumpet be blown in a city, and the people not be afraid? Shall evil befall a city, and the Lord hath not done it? God is sovereign. Surely the Lord will do nothing except He reveal His secret unto His servants, the prophets. Yes, and of course, dreams, visions, revelations, prophecies, all of these ways in which we receive these revelations from the Lord give us warning, help us to cooperate with Him in this process, and so on. And Amber said their camp was in a bowl at the bottom of a dark mountain. Hmm. I believe the dark mountain represents the current ruling beast kingdom of our day. Jeremiah 13 and 16 says, Give glory to the Lord your God before he caused darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And while you look for light and he turn it into the shadow of death, make it uh, gross darkness. So what is he saying? Repent while you still can. Amen. And Amber said, There was a great show going on, and a huge group of people were gathered to watch the performance. It was a live show, like a Broadway musical. It was colorful and bright and gay, with dragons flying in the air, like a Disney production. It seemed so magical, like a cartoon, only it was really happening. There are multitudes of people who are still under great deception by the mainstream media and all their witchcraft, lies, and propaganda. Only God's elect will awaken to the deceptions of the dragon and beast in these last days. True, true. Second Peter two seventeen through 20 says this, <clears throat> These are springs without water, mists driven by a storm, for whom the blackness of darkness 
hath been reserved. For uttering great swelling words of vanity, they entice in the lusts of the flesh by lasciviousness those who are just escaping from them that live in error, promising them liberty while they themselves are bondservants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he also brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and they are again entangled therein and overcome, the last state is become worse with them than the first. This is so true of the faction. It is exactly true of the faction. Their last state is far worse. They have fallen far from God. All youthful lusts are revived in them. And they justify it. Well, uh, Amber went on to say, something seemed very special about the air around the outside stage. It seemed as if the light was reflecting off of fairy dust suspended in the air so that everything sparkled magically. And I think this might be representing the attractions of the lusts of the flesh. She said, Everything else surrounding the stage was dark, and the sun was almost gone. Well, we're living in a very dark time, and there are many people who are being affected by this fairy dust that uh, dumbs down the population and fogs up their minds, taking away any desire through the fun vax or fundamental vaccine to uh, fervently seek after God. It's true. It is happening. And yes, the chemtrails do have a function in all of this. Ephesians 4 17 through 19 says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord, that you no longer walk as the Gentiles also walk in the vanity of their mind, being darkened in their their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. So study the word and don't be ignorant and you won't be trapped in this, right? Because of the hardening of their heart, who being past feeling gave themselves up to lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. That's them, absolutely. Amber said, I didn't get a good look at the show because I was intent on making my way down one of the aisles towards the dark mountain that filled my view. Well, God's elect who have... uh, sanctified themselves from the world are keeping their eyes on the straight and narrow road represented by the isle. And our mission is to destroy the works of the enemy and of darkness through faith and intercession. Amber said, I went into the mountain and into a shop to get something fixed, like maybe a watch. Uh, Maybe this is indicating timing, she says. Well, this could mean that we need to get our timing fixed, representing that we are hearing and seeing disinformation about the timing for certain events to occur. Yeah. Or maybe it is that God is going to supernaturally fix the times that we're in, living 
through the man-child anointing and uh, the Great Awakening Revival. Amen. There were two workers in this dark cave-like workshop. There was a dim, dusty light filtering through a small, high window. The small ray of light also seemed to have this same fairy dust in it, but it didn't seem so magical in the dark room. The shadows were a dark blue color. And she gives Matthew 6 and 23, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is the darkness. Amen. She said, I waited while one of the workers tried to fix the watch or item I had brought in. The workers seemed intelligent, but something wasn't quite right about them. Well, there there are many people in the alternative media realm that are doing much slander and even putting out false things for uh, timings, uh, people, and events. 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen through 15 says, For such men are false apostles. That means one sent forth, right? Such men are false apostles, deceitful workers, fashioning themselves into apostles of Christ. That is those sent by Christ, right? And no marvel, for even Satan fashioneth himself into an angel of light. It is no great thing, therefore, if his ministers also fashion themselves as ministers of righteousness. Yes, this is true. Whose end shall be according to their works. Amen. I knew the owner was away, so I decided to investigate the house. The rest of the house was light and clean and modern. Well, this could be representing the houses or lives of the GCR false prophets who seem to have really clean lives, but they have a deep, dark, hidden, false, new age spirituality that is fashioned into Christianity. Mm-hmm. But it's not. So this house or shop must have been in a mall because I happened to spy the owner through the glass, uh, the storefront window. The owner was surrounded by oblivious shoppers as he made his way to the glass door. So the mountain represents the beast system of buying and selling that is a large part of his kingdom. And, of course, in the church, it's just full of buying and selling. You know, they don't give and receive like Jesus commanded, right? So it is uh, the means by which the beast will eventually bring everyone into subjection to it. Revelation thirteen, eleven through 17. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like unto a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his sight. And he maketh the earth and them that dwell therein to worship the first beast, whose death stroke was healed. I want to tell you there are a lot of religious people who are going to recommend this beast. 
In fact, they don't recognize the beast now. Yeah. And he doeth great signs that he should even make fire to come down out of heaven upon the earth in the sight of men. And he deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by reason of the signs which it was given unto him to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast who hath the stroke of the sword and lived. And it was given unto him to give breath to it, even to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as should not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, the small, the great, the rich, and the poor, and the free, and the bond, that there be given them a mark on their right hand or upon their forehead, and that no man should be able to buy or to sell, save he that hath the mark, even the name of the beast or the number of his name. At first I was worried that he would be angry with me for wandering around his house, but the owner seemed like a nice professional guy. He spoke in a friendly manner, saying that the show was great now, but it would be amazing after he finished adding his touches. I knew that the show was happening now, but he would add something like GCI effects on top of the live images, and then it would be released so that the general public would enjoy the show. And then I woke up. Well, I remember having a vision of a CGI dragon trying to come in the house to devour the people years ago. And this is true. So this represents the deceptions increasing to the point of most people not being able to discern falsehood from reality any longer. Um, in other words, deep fake videos where CGI is added along with a different voice to implicate someone falsely. That was a big thing a few years ago, a revelation that they're doing this. Okay? And Matthew twenty four fifteen through 25 says this, When therefore you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, uh, let him that readeth understand. Well, we know that those with the mark of the beast are going to go back to their churches. No, this is not that letter thing that people have made up in the Middle East. This is here and around us, and it's going to be uh, all over the world. And let them that are in Judea flee unto the mountains. That's the high places of God, right? And let him that is on the housetop not go down to take out things that are in his house. And let him that is in the field not return back to take his cloak. But woe unto them that are with child and to them that give suck in those days. Should have come into this uh, prior to this time. In fact, in these days, right? And pray ye that your flight be not in winter, neither on a Sabbath, for then shall be great tribulation. There's what winter and Sabbath, uh, offending the Sabbath is, right? Such as hath not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, nor ever shall be. And except those days had been shortened, 
no flesh would have been saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. So just for the elect's sake, the days will be shortened, right? He says, come out from among them. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is the Christ, or here, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. Uh, Behold, I have told you beforehand. So this will be very effective to separate the wheat from the tares, because as you know, the tares will take the bait. Right? And they have. They are taking the bait. And this is uh, uh, given to Lana Galchenko, 10-29-22. And we call it coming into the image of the enemy, a falling away. Mm-hmm. And Lana said, I had a dream that we were visiting my mother's house. It was white inside and out. Well, the church that we are born from is our mother. And uh, while there, she said, my siblings were watching viral videos and showed some to me. One of the videos was about two very ugly men all dressed in brown. Well, if our eye is not single on the Christ of the Bible, we will be leavened. The brown clothes represent the Nazi faction in church and state. Amen. And in some sort of wood-earth building, representing those who are earthly and not spiritual and heavenly. The first guy was short with red hair. Well, this represents the factious like Esau, meaning red, right? He looked like a leprechaun. Uh, That represents that they're stunted in spiritual growth. They can't grow up. He was mimicking a parrot. In other words, mockers. The second guy was mimicking a cat. That represents rebellion and self-will. I immediately saw that they were both possessed by these particular animal demons. And I told my siblings that I saw how the men's eyes reflected these demons. Well, the apostates are coming into the image of those they see and admire and sometimes fear. The righteous see Jesus in the mirror and won't settle for a cheap fake or antichrist, right? My mom wanted to watch it for herself, so she grabbed her iPad and started to log in. And on the iPad screen was a black-haired, meaning submitting to darkness, 1 Corinthians 11, your hair is a sign of submission, right? A black-haired, sharp-faced young man who was instructing her on how to log in. She first had to press her face into the screen and then the side of her face. Well, the apostates are exchange their own image for these type people instead of Christ. 
and as she did this, I noticed that the camera was getting a good view of her surroundings. Well, we know that the beast is always looking for ways to identify us for legal action later. They want to entrap the Christians, their mortal enemies. The next image on the screen was the man's waist and lower body. He was wearing a dark shirt and white belt. And I wondered if my mom would press the iPad into her waist, too. In the dream, my mom had colored her hair a dark reddish-brown. Okay. It was uh, straight and neatly cut to her shoulders. Well, this represents coming into the image of the enemy, of falling away. Again, the reddish hair, right? The Esau. She was also wearing jewelry, and I was trying to figure out if she had her ears pierced without being too obvious. Well, the outward adorning, rather than inward adorning, of the meek and quiet spirit um, is what the fake religious Christians do. So in the next scene, it was uh, nighttime, and my husband and I were... Uh, in a white room, laying on a white bed, still at Mom's house. Again, Mom is uh, the church that we were born out of, right? The iPad was laying between us, where my mom had left it. I couldn't stop thinking about the black-haired man on the screen. He was evil, and I realized that he was a giant. So, the old man of the land who looked too big to conquer to most, uh, especially for those who come out of those dark religions um, and don't trust in God. They, do, they see this old man as somebody that they just have to put up with, just have to be forgiven, not sanctified, right? So in the dream, I became aware that the giants actually existed. Nephilim is the word that came to me in the dream and that the deep state was releasing them into the world. This represents those who are big of flesh and enemies of the spiritual man. You understand it doesn't matter how big a man is in the world and how popular he is to the world. He is, If he does not know God, if he is not living the crucified life, he is the enemy of the spiritual man. And as I laid in the bed, it was snowing outside, and I knew that the giants were coming. Winter is tribulation when the enemy tests the saints, you see. I heard the door, and I knew my mom was going to let the black-haired man come inside. Well, we become like those that we admire, right? I got out of bed and peeked through the window blinds. The snow was falling steadily, but it wasn't too deep to drive yet. I don't like driving in the snow, as it can be dangerous, but I knew we had to get out of my mother's house and that I would rather have Theo driving us home in the slippery snow than to stay at my mom's house any longer. Yes, because she had let this man into her house. 
And she wouldn't be anything but dangerous to a spiritual life, right? So this is very true. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Get out of mom's house. That's what Lana was showing here. I turned to wake him up and found that he had never fallen asleep and was ready to go. <laughs> yes. We loaded our sleeping boys, Theo and Max, into our old red Nissan Altima and left. So she is leaving the old order of Mother's House, the apostate church, by way of uh, the Nissan Altima. The name Nissan is a boy's name of Hebrew origin, meaning miracle. And Altima is derived from the Latin altus, suggesting a higher order, as does its similarity to the word ultimate, right? Higher order. So those who depart from mother's house are a higher order. Uh, and this higher order is the supernatural kingdom of God. They they think that they walk in God. They think that they are the church, and they are not, because the church is the called out ones. Now you see who's coming out. Okay, I could see the black asphalt before our car as we drove. There was a cleared pathway, free of snow, as far as I could see, and I knew we would have a safe drive home. Well, Safety and prosperity is with us when we turn away from the sinful ways of the apostate church and escape the winter tribulation represented by the snow. I received Psalm 50, 14 through 15, by faith at random for this dream. Offer unto God the sacrifice of thanksgiving and pay thy vows unto the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Well, we thank you, Lord, for saving us out of the apostate church and its ways. And, Lord, we know this is a progressive thing, but uh, just keep guiding us down the path. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, Tiana Fire, eight twelve twenty two received this that we called, Some Apostate Christians Repent and Escape. I dreamed that David Eels and I, representing the man-child and the bride, were traveling somewhere and we got offered a lift with this random man and woman. David and I were sitting in the back seat and the woman was sitting in the driver's seat. And we think this is representing the beginning of our walk under the apostate church and its leadership with Jezebel driving. <laughs> they looked young, and they said that they had been together since a young age, and they ran away from their homes very young and got involved in all sorts of criminal activity. Well, this is representing the rebellious apostate church where everyone stays young in the Lord, but as far as the scripture is concerned, it's all criminal activity. And it's in rebellion against God. They had locked the door so we couldn't get out, and the woman said that they were kidnapping us. 
Well, they always try to make you feel that you can't go anywhere else because they are the ones with all of the answers. But it's strange when they get around somebody with answers, their mouth hangs open. <laughs> we weren't sure what they had ans- what they had planned to do with us, but we weren't worried at all. We felt calm, peaceful, loving, joyful, and we didn't think of them in a negative way. David was casually talking about Father and Jesus to them like he normally talks about God. Well, that that represents being weak to the weak. We have to remember they are young in the Lord, right? And uh, so we have to get down on their level to speak to them. Amen? This kept making the woman angry, but we could see that the man's conscience was getting to him, and he wanted to hear more. We could see and feel in spirit that the man could see what David was speaking is truth, and he was getting convicted for all the wrong that he had done in his life. Let me say, some of the leadership uh, will get tired of Jezebel and turn to the Lord. Jezebel is all in the apostate church. Not only, uh, in many cases, are the women ruling, uh, contrary to the commands of the Bible, but the Spirit is there. And these, a Spirit can be in a man even. It's somebody who should be receiving seed, but they're sowing seed, right? So we all stopped at a gas station to fill up. David and I were locked in so we couldn't get out. Not that we wanted to leave anyway. This reminds me of Acts 16, where Paul and Silas were praising God for being imprisoned. And uh, the woman got out and filled up the tank and went inside to pay for it. And while she was gone, the man called the police and confessed what he had done and told them of our location. And the police quickly showed up and arrested the man and woman, and David and I were set free. Well, we got the word in, right? (laughs) The man was at peace even though he was being arrested. I felt that the man had real repentance and that he agreed with the word and his conscience uh, and would uh, truly turn away from his evil and follow Jesus even though he would be going to jail. Well, once we recognize the truth... um, we realize that we're in bondage. But our faith in Jesus is going to bring us out and cause us to be victorious. Amen? Well, these are revelations that kind of point us um, to the strong delusion that's in the apostate church and that if people don't come out from among them, they will end up destroyed. Because it is not Christianity, it is a fake Christianity. God wants to deliver us from all such things. Even after we physically come out, we still have to spiritually come out, right? Amen. Well, Father, we ask in Jesus' name that everyone who is listening today, or whenever, Uh, that you will grant repentance and that they will seek your word 
The only thing that can bring us into the image of Jesus Christ is the Word of God, and the churches have departed from the Word of God, just as the Old Testament church did. The things that have been are the things that shall be. So come out from among them, saints, and be ye separate. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, Michael Hare is going to come, and we just ask you, Father, to bless Michael and the brethren, Lord, and um, meet their needs, Lord, through the words here. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, saints. Bye. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Got a nice, pretty day out there today. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, I ask that you help me get this word out. And Lord, that it would be a blessing to folks. And Lord, I thank you that sanctification is something that you want out of us and that you, you're you willing to help us do it all. All we have to do is have a little faith. Lord, I thank you for this message you've got for us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now that's what I want to talk about. Sanctification, safety. Can the Lord make a place on this earth where that people are actually safe when all the nations of the world are hating them and are coming against God's people? Well, in Matthew 24, 9, Jesus says, Then shall they deliver you up into tribulation and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Well, he said that because God wants his name or his nature, his character, and his authority to be manifested in his people. And reckon what it's going to take to make that happen. Well, it's going to take everything that can be shaken to be shaken. Hebrews twelve twenty six. Whose voice then shook the earth, but now he has promised, saying, Yet once more will I make to tremble not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word yet once more signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that have been made, that those things which are not shaken may remain. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace, whereby we may offer service well-pleasing to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. It's going to happen because God, people, they find so much affinity for the world that without this shaking, they're not going to be able to run for safety to Zion, spiritually speaking. So God's going to motivate His people to run from the nations in the world and to run from their religions and to go straight for Him. And I praise God for that. Psalms 89 and 22. The enemy shall not exact from him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his adversaries before him and smite them that hate him. Well, that was spoken of David, who represents the man-child. And the man-child is the head of the bride. David ruled from Jerusalem, and that represents the bride. And we know that the man-child is none other 
than Christ in his end times first fruits body of men. Colossians one twenty six says this it says even the mystery which has been hid for ages and generations but now it has been manifested to his saints to whom God was pleased to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Lord is coming in his people, folks. He's coming in his first fruits man-child and in his bride and in the virgins and, and the rest of them. John the Baptist said of Jesus, who was the man-child of his day, he said in John chapter 3 and verse 29, He that has the bride is the bridegroom. And Jesus taught the disciples how to walk with him. And obviously God is in control of the enemy, right? Whether you're talking about principalities and powers or the beast or the Illuminati or whatever. Because he said in Psalms 89 and 22, The enemy shall not exact from him, nor the son of wickedness afflict him. And I will beat down his adversaries before him and smite them that hate him. That's the provision that God's given to his man-child. And they will pass that on to the bride. And that authority is something the Lord keeps in his hand. There's no chance that the devil has of having any authority over you. You know, you wouldn't deliver your children over to somebody else to raise. And so the Lord ain't going to do that either. But he has vessels of dishonor that he uses. The Lord doesn't give them authority. He uses them as he used the devil like he did in the book of Job. Because God was very careful about what came into the life of Job. That devil had to get permission to go in there and hurt Job. But God allowed it for a purpose. And if you read that book of Job carefully, you'll see that Job had some problems. And although the Lord was accounting him as righteous from the very beginning, because at the time, Job was walking in everything that he knew, right? But he had a lot of self-righteousness in him, too. The Lord helped Job to see that by using his enemies and persecution. And, of course, after it was all over, God restored everything at the end, didn't he? This authority God has over evil is something that he uses to sanctify us. For instance, over in Proverbs 16 and 4, it says, The Lord hath made everything for its own end or purpose. Yea, even the wicked for the day of evil. So God made the wicked to serve him when he raised, while he's raising up his sons. So when a person is sanctified, it ain't a problem for the Lord to say no to the devil. And he does that at times. And when it came time for Job to be delivered, and he was sanctified of his sin, God wouldn't allow that devil to have dominion over Job any longer. That was it. That's all he could do. Verse 5 says, Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. And as you probably already know, when we come to the Lord, we still got a lot of pride there. And the Lord has to get it out of us. 
He don't want us to be an abomination to him. So that's what he does. He uses the devil to do that. Then it goes on and says, Though hand join in hand, he shall not be unpunished. So it don't make any difference how much power you think you've got. No matter what kind of army your land has over it that you think is going to defend you, there ain't nothing that can defend you from God who wants to get rid of that pride. He wants to destroy that pride. And ain't nothing can stop him from doing it either. And he's going to use every vessel of dishonor he needs to to bring an end to that. But when he's finished, he can stop them just as easily as he started them. He can close that door. He said, all right, that's enough, folks. <laughs> Y'all quit messing with him. He's already he's sanctified. But, you know, we think it hard that God could provide such a place of safety for people who are holy. And here's the advantage of being holy and separate from the world. You don't need chastening if you've overcome your sins already. Proverbs 16 and 6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. You know, all these things that are coming on the world here soon, shortly, is going to restore the fear of the Lord. And a whole bunch of folks are going to depart from evil. And they're going to run to Zion. And that's the place of safety. Zion is a place of holiness also. It's where we uh, people are separated from the world. And there ain't nothing more important for you to do right now than to repent of your sins and to seek diligently to walk in holiness and separation from the world. Because in verse 7 of Proverbs 16, it says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When you come to the place where your actions and your ways please the Lord, then God can stop your enemies right dead in their track because that's the place of safety. That's passing through the walls of Zion and into his place of salvation, the place where God is going to make your enemies be at peace with you. Peace with you, I'm sorry. Verse 8, better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. A man's heart devises his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Think about that a minute. The Lord directs his steps. People can choose to be good, and people can choose to be bad. But God directs their steps, and he even directs the steps of their enemies. And a lot of people don't understand that about God, but they haven't studied the Bible enough to even know about it. Philippians chapter 2 and 13, it says, It is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Don't you think that unrighteous things happen to you? Proverbs 16 and 10, A divine sentence is in the lips of the king. His mouth shall not transgress in judgment. Job thought he was being made to suffer. For no reason at all. And Job accused God wrongfully a number of times. But God knew what Job needed. And God knew exactly what he was doing. God didn't transgress in judgment. He gave the devil permission to do what he did to Job. He used the devil to bring Job to that place of holiness. And then God restored everything. Proverbs 16 and 11. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights of the bag are his work. 
He didn't say, here, devil, you take some of the weights and you take some of the balance. No. The Lord took credit and took charge of every bit of it. So <clears throat> you just need to remember that the Lord is sovereign. And we also know that the Lord Jesus uh, was given dominion over all the principalities and powers. Ephesians 1 and 18 says, Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe. You know, we need a revelation of that, don't we? According to that working of the strength of his might, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and made him to sit at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. Jesus has been given dominion and authority over everything, even over the devil, even over all the demons that run around with the devil. And it goes on and says, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. So if you're there thinking, if you're thinking that there's a war going on out there, and you don't know who's going to win it next, God or the devil, you've missed the whole point. God always wins. Because he delivers his people over to what appears to them as failure. And ain't got nothing to do with anything. Look at Job. Job went through all of that tremendous failure. But through that, he was sanctified, wasn't he? God knew what he was doing. Isaiah 46 and 9 says, Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Verse 10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure, calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country. Yea, I have spoken. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed. I will also do it. So God sees the end from the beginning. And he knows how to get you there too. He knows how to get you to the end. And sometimes, before you're sanctified and behind the walls of Zion, you need a chastening. Job did, didn't he? And God manifestly perfected him. He was perfect from the beginning because he was walking by faith and he was walking in the knowledge that, that he had at the time. But he wasn't perfect by manifestation. We're perfect by faith from the beginning because of the blood covering, if we're walking in what we know. James 4.17 says, To him therefore that knows to do good, and does it not to him, it is sin. So if you walk in rebellion to what you know is already right, you're under sin, and you're not reckoned as being perfect. Job was doing everything that he knew to do, knew what to do. But he didn't understand his own heart. He didn't realize he needed to be delivered of that self-righteousness he had. So what did God do? He used the devil to help Job understand that. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. And he put all things in subjection under his feet 
and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So if you'll notice, Christ is the head of the body, but all things are in subjection under the feet of the body. So we see here that not only has the Lord been given dominion over principalities and powers, and on and on, but he's given his people that dominion as well. He exercises his dominion through his people. Luke chapter 10 and verse 19 says, Behold, I have given you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall in any wise hurt you. Well, you got to ask yourself, if God has this dominion, dominion, can he take away the power of the enemy? Just like he did for Job? Can't he just say, no, you can't go there, devil. So, folks, the physical enemies on this earth are nothing in God's sight. Many people are caught up in the conspiracies of men. But I'm telling you here now that men don't run this earth. The God is the devil of, of uh, the devil is, I'm sorry, the devil is the God of this world. And the conspiracies pass from him into men. But the one that's got all the dominion is God. And the God is the one who is allowing the conspiracies. And at any time, God can say enough is enough. Anytime he wants to, it ain't a problem for God. Proverbs 16 and 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. There is a place when we have learned sanctification and have separated ourselves from the world, separated from dead apostate religion and idolatry, and that's the place where God says, Enough is enough. This is my servant, and he don't need any more. And I know some of you don't believe that, but we've got to believe what the Bible says, don't we? We can't believe what men say. We can't put limits on God. Don't put him in a box. People might think that they're being humble when they say, we can't be perfect. Well, I have to agree with that. You can't be perfect, but that doesn't mean God can't make you perfect. God called Job perfect, and he called other people perfect. Can God do it? And I know you ain't saying God can't do it. He's the one who always does it. All he wants from us is faith. You know, he gives us a free gift, you see. If you're saying that God is able to make you perfect, but he won't do it, that ain't a whole lot of salvation, is it? And maybe your idea of what constitutes being perfect is wrong. Maybe you ought to find out what the Bible uh, uh, says about perfection for you, because it's obviously not the same for everybody. It's like, get this, it's like playing a piano. You hit this key, and it makes a sound. And it makes the sound it's supposed to make. You hit another key, it makes the sound that it's supposed to make. So we aren't all the same, but we all fulfill our place in the Lord. When we're not looking at our neighbor, but we're doing what God is calling us to do, and we're walking in His holiness, separated from sin, separated from the world, Separated from idolatry and religion. That's when we are counted perfect. And that's when the glory of God is manifested. Isaiah 60 and 19 says, The sun shall be no more 
thy light by day, neither for brightness shall the moon give light unto you. But the Lord will be unto you an everlasting light, and thy God thy glory. Now, he's talking about a people that have a glory, which is a, a shining forth from. And it's the glory of God shining forth out of them. You know, God's people got a light that the world don't have. And if you go back to the beginning of that chapter in Isaiah 60, it says in verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light is come. Now he's talking to Zion here. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory shall be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light. In other words, Zion will be like a lighthouse. The nations are going to see that light and run to it as a place of provision. And then it goes on and says, And kings to the brightness of your rising. Now, it don't say anything here about God doing away with the sun and the moon, does it? It just says they won't need it. The natural man needs light on this earth in order to see because light reflects off objects, and that's what our eye picks up. But the righteous don't walk by sight. So it ain't necessary for God to do away with the sun and the moon. And I don't think the scriptures even says that. You know, a person who doesn't walk by sight no longer needs the light of the moon or the light of the sun because the glory of God lights them. Revelation also says uh, the same thing about Zion. Revelation 21 and 23. Now he's talking about Zion here and the bride. And the city hath no need of the sun. It don't say that the sun is not going to be there. It just says the sun won't be needed. Neither of the moon to shine upon it. For the glory of God did lighten it. So if you're not walking by sight, then you're walking just like a Christian. Right? A true Christian. And the lamp thereof is the lamb. And then Revelation 22 and 5 says, And there shall be night no more. Now he's talking about the city here. And they need no light of lamp, neither light of sun. For the Lord God shall give them light, and they, that's the bride, shall reign forever and ever. And I know there's some of you out there thinking, oh, that's in the millennium. No, it ain't either. When are we supposed to stop walking by sight? In the millennium? If you wait that long, you ain't going to be qualified to be in Zion. It's here that we have to be qualified. And Isaiah 60 tells us that in the tribulation period, God's people won't need the light of the sun or the light of the moon. And the Bible says in Psalms 89 and 35, Once have I sworn by my holiness, I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever and his throne as the sun before me, and it shall be established forever as the moon and as the faithful witness in the sky. So, as long as the sun and the moon are in the sky, we're going to have a King David. And it's going to be forever and ever and ever. Isaiah 11 and 1, And there shall come forth a shoot out of the stock of Jesse and a branch. Well, that branch is the man-child ministry, okay? Out of his root, that's Jesus, 
shall bear fruit, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, and neither decide after the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness. So you'll notice here that he's saying that people who walk and judge after the sight of their eyes and with the hearing of their ears are not righteous. Then it goes on and says, Shall he judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth? That judge is the branch out of the root of Jesse that's going to bear fruit. The branch is the man-child ministry. And just like Jesus, the man-child ministry is not going to walk after the seeing of their natural eyes or the hearing of their natural ears. Jesus only preached to those people who had spiritual eyes and ears. Romans 8 and 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. They don't have to walk by natural sight and natural hearing anymore. Because now the glory of God is in them. There's still going to be a sun and a moon. All they're, they're going to be somewhat darkened. And the world, spiritually speaking, is going to be in darkness. But the light of God is going to rise up in His people. They don't need the light of the sun, and they don't need the light of the moon. Because the glory of God is going to guide them. Praise God. Isaiah 60 and 20. Thy sun shall no more go down, neither shall thy moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. Praise God. <laughs> Verse 21. Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Reckon how God's people is going to be all righteous. Well, if you're talking about natural Zion, there ain't no way that they can all be righteous, is there? There are very few believers over there in natural Zion. But we ain't talking about natural Zion. We're talking about spiritual Zion. That's a type and a shadow for the church. So Zion represents only a people who are holy. And it represents a people who are holy around the earth. Therefore, in verse 21, it says, Thy people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever. That's the land of holiness, by the way. That's the promised land. The land where their enemies will not be ruling over them. Praise God. Now, let me point out something here of what Zion represents. And if you'll notice what Paul said about Zion and how God is going to get his people there in Hebrews 12 and 18. For you are not come unto a mount that might be touched. Okay? He's not talking about a physical Mount Zion. This Mount Zion he's talking about can't be touched. And that burned with fire. The natural mountain that they came to in the wilderness burned with fire. And unto blackness and darkness and tempest and the sound of a trumpet, and the voice of words, which voice they that heard entreated that no word more should be spoken unto them. For they could not endure that which was enjoined. If even a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned. Ain't no beast going to touch this mountain. Because Mount Zion is a place of safety. 
It's a place of holiness. And you don't need a beast at that time to crucify you if you're already dead, do you? Because that's what holiness represents. It represents a person that's dead to self, a person who is separated from the world and separated from sin, bless God. Hebrews 12 and 21, so fearful and so fearful was the appearance that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. You know, holiness does that to sinners, don't it? Verse 22, but you are come unto Mount Zion. And if you say there's never been a spiritual heavenly Mount Zion on the earth, then you got to tear that part out the Bible. Paul was talking to those early disciples. They had already heard the true gospel. They had seen the power of the Holy Spirit's anointing, and they were walking in that anointing. And it was those around them that called them Christians, because they saw that the disciples walked just like Jesus walked. And these were the people who had come to Mount Zion. And then verse 22, But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. They came to the heavenly Jerusalem. Just because it heavenly, that don't mean it's not on earth, folks, because Jesus said in Luke chapter 17 and verse 20, The kingdom of God comes not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo, here or there, for lo, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of heaven is in your midst. Every place in you where God rules and you don't serve sin, that place is heavenly Jerusalem. That's the place of holiness. That's inside the walls of salvation. And so here Paul says in Hebrews twelve twenty two again, But you are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, and to the general assembly and church of the firstborn. That Greek word for church is ecclesia. And what you know what it means? It means the called out ones. What are we called out of? We're called out of the out of the world. That's what we're called out of. From the moment you are born again out there in the world, you're called to come to Zion. You're called to come to Jesus Christ, the King over Zion. Jeremiah thirty one and six it says, Arise ye, and let us go up to Zion unto the Lord our God. That's where we're going, folks. And that's where the early disciples were. They had Jesus as king. And then they prophesied a great falling away in which they went back into bondage. Acts 20 and 29. I know that after my departing, grievous wolves shall enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. And then Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. But know this, that in the last days grievous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, haughty, railers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, implacable, slanderers without self-control, fierce, no lovers of goods, traitors, 
headstrong, puffed up, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding a form of godliness, but having denied the power thereof. From these also turn away. For of these are they that creep into houses and take captive silly women laden with sins, led away by diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter 2 and 1 now. But there arose false prophets, who among the people, as among you also there shall be false teachers, who shall privily bring in destructive heresies, denying even the master that brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their lascivious doings, by reason of whom the way of the truth shall be evil spoken of. And that is a fulfilling of the type set by the Jews. The Jews apostatized. They turned away from God. And they were taken into bondage and their city was destroyed. And then after a time in bondage, God drew them back to rebuild their new city. Because the first one was destroyed. And you know what? That's what God's doing today. He's drawing his people back to what they had in the beginning to this holiness and the anointing and the power of God. He's drawing his people back to be true Christians. Praise God. Hebrews 12 and 22 again. But ye are come unto Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable hosts of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of just men made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better than that of Abel. See that you refuse not him that speaks, for if they escape not when they refused him that warned them on earth, much more shall not we escape who turn away from him that warns from heaven? whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more will I make to tremble, not the earth only, but also the heaven. What day is that, folks? Well, it's the one we're coming to real quick here, it looks like. So let's read the next verse. But let's read it in the numerics, okay? Because the numeric pattern brings us to the exact Greek wording, what's important in this particular verse. Verse 27, and this, and this yet once more, that's referring to the shaking that's coming, signifies the removing of the shaking. Now that's what it says in the original, without all them added in words. And verse 27, and this yet once more signifies the removing of the shaking. That's what the numeric says, word for word out of the Greek. As of made. In other words, as of made is something that's man-made. Everything that's man-made is going to be removed. Whether it's in your life, in your religion, or what you may think is Christianity, ain't nothing made by man is going to stand up to the shaking God is about to send. And what is the purpose of that shaking? And this yet once more signifies the removing of the shaking as of made, that those not shaken may remain now, those not shaking is talking about people, not about things. 
God is going to shake everything in our lives in order to bring about our sanctification. And only those who are not going to be shaken are going to remain. God's going to destroy our wood, hay, and stubble so that the gold and silver and the precious stones remain. And what God's going to have left over after all this shaking is done is those who's going to inherit eternal life. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Some people think that we're going to have eternal life when we die. But you're actually coming into eternal life right here. And what is eternal life? It's Christ in you, the hope of glory in Colossians 1.27. And if you don't have eternal life here, you can't go there. Some people think that they can die just as filthy as they are here. But they are still automatically going to go there. That's what they believe. And when they go there, then they're going to get that eternal life. I'm telling you, those people are believing a lie. Because you get eternal life right here. And if you don't enter into it here, you ain't ever going to have it. Because we enter into eternal life here 30, 60, and 100 fold. The seed of the life of Christ must bear the fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Paul goes on in Hebrews twelve twenty eight. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, he's talking about Zion again. You are come to the heavenly Jerusalem. Let us have grace, whereby we may offer service well-pleasing to God with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. And this consuming fire is going to burn up all the wood, hay, and stubble that we have. But you know, we got to cooperate with God. And our desire ought to be, let's go up to Zion, this, the city of the king. Because that's the place where the king rules. And there's a wall that separates us from the world and the worldly church. Every one of us have probably all been in a worldly church at one time or another. Jeremiah 50 says that our mother is Babylon. We all started there with these old foolish ideas about God. And our old foolish ideas about church and the kingdom. We all, every one of us started there with our foolish ideas about who God is and what He wants. And what He's going to do in our life. We've all had them ideas. But coming out of that and passing behind the walls into Zion is sanctification and separation from every bit of that. And it's coming into the place of holiness. This is the place where God can protect you from your enemies, deliver you from the power of your old flesh, and provide all of your needs. So you got to say that this shaking is coming for all of us. But can you imagine? Some people out there want to go ahead and fly away. They don't even want to be here to go through God's plan to perfect His people. I'm going to tell you something. If you fly away, you know where you're going? I can, I can tell you this. That a lot of the church, if they flew away right now, they'd be going to that other place. 
So we should appreciate everything God's going to do. <coughs> Excuse me. And be glad that the rapture don't happen right now, praise God. Because there'd be a bunch of them going down there. Isaiah 16:21 says, Your people also shall be all righteous. They shall lay, inherit the land forever. You know, when Israel went into their promised land, they couldn't inherit it until they put to death the Canaanite. And that's another revelation of sanctification and the death of the old man. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, Wherefore we faint not, but through our outward man is deca- though our outward man is decaying, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. That old outer man's got to die for sanctification. And that spiritual inner man has to come forth and rule in our life. Isaiah says the righteous people in Zion will inherit the land. So what's the difference about that land? Well, the Canaanites are dead. David had to kill the Jebusites when he took Zion from them. And then it became the city of David. And over in Isaiah 52 and 1, it says basically the same thing. It says, awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. So here God's raising up Zion. We're going to see Zion in the earth again. And it represents a people whose walk is holy and that are being ruled over by King David. And it goes on to say, Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. And like we've already seen, the beautiful garments, that represents the righteous works, both of the bride and those that are invited to the marriage. Revelation 19 and 8, And it was given unto her, that's the bride, that she should array herself in fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And the armies, those that aren't in the bride company, which are in heaven, followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and pure. They've all got those beautiful garments on them. And then Isaiah 52 and 1 says, Awake, awake, put on your strength, O Zion, put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city, for henceforth there shall no more come unto you the uncircumcised, that is, the flesh not cut off, and the unclean, no more. And folks, that's where we're coming to. And the only people in Zion are going to be holy. And when they get there, they're going to have that wall between them and the beast. And even if that beast even touches the mountain, it's going to be stoned, it says in Hebrews 12 and 20. Verse 2 of Isaiah 52 says, Shake yourselves from the dust, and that's the flesh, because you know our flesh was made from the dust. Arise, sit on your throne, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. That daughter of Zion is New Jerusalem. That's coming out of captivity to that old man. And that old man is outside the walls of Zion. But you know, we're coming into the city where David rules. And we're going to be separated from the world. And that's the process of sanctification. Inside the walls of Zion is where we have all the benefits of sanctification. We have the provision, the protection, the holiness, and the fellowship with the Lord. The Lord is the king in the temple in Zion. His presence 
is in the temple in Zion. Man, I'm going to tell you something. The benefits of this walk to Mount Zion is awesome. And here's another example where God's people were taken, taken into captivity and God's calling for them to come out of that captivity. Glory to God. Jeremiah 3 and 14 says, Return, O backsliding children, saith the Lord. Now, the captivity of the old man represents being backslidden, okay? For I am a husband unto you. So he's trying to make those people his bride. The Lord is calling his people out of all the nations to come to Mount Zion that represents the bride, just like we saw in Revelation. And I will take you one of a city, two of a family, and I will bring you to Zion. That's the bride. That's the place of sanctification. That's the place of separation from the world unto God. And in verse 15, And I will give you shepherds according to my heart. You know there's shepherds in Babylon? There were shepherds in Babylon when they were in bondage. There were shepherds in Egypt when they were in bondage. But God has some shepherds who have been set free so that they can help the people to be free, to get free, and to get loose from all that bondage they're in. And then verse 15. And I will give you shepherds according to my heart who shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when you are multiplied and increased in the land. Folks, that's the promised land. That's when you're living up on God's promises. And in those days, says the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they miss it. Neither shall it be made anymore. Because that was all a physical type and shadow. Something that God's going to fulfill in our days, folks. Jeremiah 3 and 17 says, At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it. Jerusalem in the Old Testament was the place of the throne of the Lord too. And it was said of Solomon in Second Chronicles 9 and 8, Blessed be the Lord thy God who delighted in you to set you on his throne to be king for the Lord your God, because your God loved Israel to establish them forever. Therefore made he thee king over them to do justice and righteousness. Jeremiah 3 and 17 says, At that time they shall call Jerusalem, that's the bride, the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it. Now, you understand that the nations are all of God's people from all over the world. And it don't make any difference what country they live in. So we can see this is not talking about the millennium. It's talking about right now. And Jerusalem here is the new Jerusalem. The heavenly spiritual Jerusalem. The church or the called out ones are coming out of the nations to Zion. And that process is called sanctification. And the benefits of being in Zion are just awesome, folks. Jeremiah 3 and 17. At that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it through the name of the Lord. And so Zion represents the name of the Lord. And of course, name means nature, character, and authority. Sanctification represents the name of Jesus. 
which is his nature, his character, and his authority manifested in us. Sanctification is Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jeremiah 3.17, at that time they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord, and all the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the stubbornness of their evil heart. That's what sanctification is, isn't it? Jeremiah 3 and 18. In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. That has a meaning in the New Testament too, by the way. Judah means praise. And it generally represents a spirit-filled people of God. The house of Israel who went even further from God and were filled with his presence, had mostly separated from the spirit-filled groups. And today, we got those that don't believe in being spirit-filled with all the evidences that we have in the Word of God. They are a much larger group of people. But I'm telling you, God's going to join people from all those religious backgrounds Just like he's bringing people out of all the nations and all the races, he's bringing them into the bride. There's going to be a bunch of them come out of those apostate religions. Dead religions, what are dead churches. Jeremiah 3 and 18, In those days the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. They shall come together out of the land of the north. That's out of bondage to the beast, by the way. To the land that I gave for an inheritance unto your fathers. And our fathers, by the way, are the early church fathers. That's the twelve patriarchs that Jesus rose up. Everything that Jesus gave to them is what we're going to have because it's our inheritance, folks. That anointing, that power, that deliverance, that holiness, all of that's coming back to his people when they come out of that captivity. Verse 19, but I said how? I will put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the hosts of the nation. And this is a heritage of God. He's gathering a bride out the hosts of the nations. And I said, you shall call me my father and shall not turn away from following me. Then Isaiah 60 in verse 21 says, your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting. What did Jesus say about every branch that his father didn't plant? Look at Matthew 15 and 13. But he answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly father planted not shall be rooted up. So these are going to be proven to be the plants that God planted. And you know God's plant because it looks just like Jesus. (laughs) Those people are going to be walking just like Jesus did. Isaiah chapter 16 verse 21. Your people also shall be all righteous. They shall inherit the land forever, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. Well, amen. Your people also shall be all righteous, it says. Everybody in spiritual New Testament Zion, the bride, is going to be sanctified from the nations, and they're everyone going to be righteous. Praise God. Y'all remember what Joel said, speaking about the valley of Jehoshaphat? 
uh, when the Battle of Armageddon took place. He said, Joel 3 and 14, Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. For the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The sun and the moon are darkened, and the stars withdraw their shining. And, and of course, that, that begins the great and terrible day of the Lord. Verse 16, And the Lord will roar from Zion and utter his voice from Jerusalem, and the heavens and the earth shall shake. But the Lord will be a refuge unto his people and a stronghold to the children of God. At that time, all the nations are gathered together against God's people, both natural and spiritual, because they're going to try to completely wipe out God's people. But you know what? God's going to be a stronghold for them. And we know that the sun and the moon's going to be darkened before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. Matthew 24 and 29. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun shall be darkened and the moon shall not give her light. And the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Well, that's the point right there. When the battle of Armageddon begins and God's people are in the refuge of God. Genesis chapter 7 and verse 4 says, For yet seven days, and I will cause it to rain upon the earth forty days and forty nights. And every living thing that I have made will I destroy from off the face of the ground. Well, you know, Noah and his family were in the ark for forty days, watching the floods come, watching the waters rise up. And then what happened? Then the ark lifted off. And they had a refuge while they were still on the earth in the beginning of the great and terrible day of the Lord, which was a year long. It tells us that in Isaiah 34 and 8. God's ark was their refuge. And of course, God don't have a physical ark right now. Our ark is a spiritual ark. Our ark is abiding in Jesus Christ. Our ark is dwelling in Mount Zion, my holy mountain. Joel chapter 3 verse 17 says, So shall you know that I am the Lord your God dwelling in Zion, my holy mountain. And then shall Jerusalem be holy, and there shall no strangers pass through her anymore. When's she going to be holy? Well, when they enter into the ark, God is going to be finished with his bride. He's going to be finished with his bride at the time this battle happens. And guess what? That beast can't touch her. She's in the ark. She's safe and sound. The doors are closed, and they're protected by the Lord. And that's going to be just like a Psalms 91 Passover for the saints. For those 40 days, those nations out there trying to kill them are too busy killing off each other to do any harm to the people of God. Besides that, them big old angels out there won't permit it either. Psalms 91 and 9, For you, O Lord, are my refuge. You have made the Most High your habitation. There shall no evil befall you, neither shall any plague come nigh your tent. For he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. They shall bear you up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. The angels ain't going to let God's people even dash their foot against a stone. But I'm telling you, at that time, God's going to be finished working with his people. There ain't going to be no strangers among his people, no strangers in the bride in Zion. And then the Lord's going to roar from Zion against those nations. 
God's voice will come out of Zion through a multitude of his saints, like the voice of many waters. And that's the body of Christ speaking the word. And when the saints speak the word, what's going to happen to the nation that are gathered against them? They're going to scatter because they're going to be slaughtered at the time. They're going to kill each other off. When they do that, they're going to be confused. They're going to turn against each other. And so that makes the people of God protected. But that's after God has finished his work through all of the seven days of the tribulation. And the marriage feast is a type of the tribulation period. And after the seven days of the marriage feast, then the virgins escort the bride to the groom's home. And that's when the ark lifts off. You know, it all fits together real neat like, don't it? Praise God. Well, I'm out of time, folks. God bless you, and we'll do it again, God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels. Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Though the rivers rise, I still believe. For oh, your mercy stands and your word is true, oh Jesus. I trust in you. And when I face that darkest night, what will be my guiding light? Shining rays of red and white Jesus, I trust in you Sacred heart in you I find Mercy seated for all time I am yours and you are mine Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, I trust in you Though the mountains fall into the sea Though the rivers rise, I still believe For your mercy stands and your word is true Oh Jesus, my Lord Jesus